1997's Final Fantasy VII is one of the most ambitious games of all time, and it set a new standard for RPGs as a whole. Jump forward 25 years, and Final Fantasy VII is still regarded as one of the best video games of all time. Between the success of 2020's Final Fantasy Remake and the newly announced sequel and prequel, we at TBM figured it was high time to give the game its due. That's why on this episode, we're talking about our experiences with 7R and the series as a whole, our hopes for the future, and just what makes Final Fantasy VII so special. I'm Jordan, and joining me in this chat are my brothers. I'm Jason. And I'm Jackson. Now, let's get into it. Final Fantasy. This is one of those series that, as a kid, I was fascinated by, but just seemed super over my head. So it took me a long time to finally get around to playing it. But I would say, overall, I think that the Final Fantasy series is probably one of the best in all of video games. There are definitely highs and lows, but there are some very, very high highs. It does have, you know, 15 main series titles plus many, many more. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a, a lot of opportunities for them to get it right. And sometimes they do. <laughs> Just sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do feel that Final Fantasy kind of brings a little bit of prestige to games that are otherwise not always quite as good. Sure, sure. And because, it's... like, the games themselves, uh, as in case anybody doesn't know, outside of games that share a number, like all the Final Fantasy VII games are related, there's very little linking any individual Final Fantasy game together. Yeah, <laughs> they, for sure. They're all different worlds. The different biggest link is Kingdom universes. Hearts. <laughs> they just have the single, the, the same gods, basically, yeah. in each game. Yeah. And even then... And I think that, generally speaking, most of the mainline Final Fantasy games, the, you know, just the numbered ones, basically 1 through 15, are all at least pretty good. I have had at least mostly positive experiences with all of them, including 13, which is pretty widely regarded as being the, the worst in the series, which I'll agree with from what I've played, but was still at least decent. <laughs> I mean, when you say you've played 13, did you play 13-2 or 13 Lightning Returns? No, but I actually heard they're significantly better than 13 because they're not super, super linear and they have more fleshed out progression systems and upgrade mechanics and where 13 is just walking in a straight line and stopping to fight sometimes. Well, I guess, you know, since we're here, might as well. I mean, like, what all Final Fantasy games have you guys played and, like, Specifically, I guess, which ones are your favorite? I've played 1 through 4, and then I've played all of 7, I've played most of 8, and I've played all of 10, <laughs> I've played all of 12, and I've played all of 15. 
Well, I beat I beat thirteen as well, but again, it's linear and like a third as long as most Final Fantasy games. So I've actually played the majority of them. The main ones I'm missing are in like the five, six. I guess it's mainly just five, six, and eight, or five, six, and nine. <laughs> Naturally, as it usually goes on this podcast, I have the least experience with this entire series. 7 Remake is the only one that I've beat, but I've also played the first third of 15. And I own 14. <laughs> have not played. Oh yeah, I did play. I, I played like 20 hours of 14, but that's in a whole different realm. <laughs> I've been meaning to get into 14 recently, but that's uh, that's not the focus right now. <laughs> But um, I, I think the ones I've played, I've beaten the first three, played a little bit of four and five. It, I've mostly just kind of played like the beginnings of a lot of them because I've never yeah. been like super into turn-based RPGs. Um, and some of the Final Fantasy games can be a little bit long-winded at times. For sure. I mean, obviously, I don't think any of them are quite as, unless you count the MMOs, I don't think any of them are quite as long as something like persona 5 but persona always has different things going on to keep my focus whereas final fantasy occasionally you'll get a a card game or a board game thrown your way but for the most part it it sticks to what it's good at (laughs) yeah yeah Um, this is very tried and true turn-based rpg like there are you know until until i think final fantasy 12 they were all pretty much run-of-the-mill combat, like turn-based combat. They didn't throw in a lot of frills. I think it was with 5 is when they added the ATB thing where there's like a little bit of like real-time stuff yeah. to think about, but they were still very much turn-based RPGs. But I kind of finish up. I, I've played basically all of the ones since they, they made the 3D transition. Um, except for nine, I've not played nine. I really want to because I I really like Zidane and his personality in like the the Dissidia, you know, the fighting game spinoffs. Um, Love Dissidia. I, I just still haven't played nine. I think the one I have played the most of is fourteen because I at least beat the main quest and that takes eighty hours. <laughs> <laughs> I would if I had to pick one that is just my absolute favorite, it would definitely be Final Fantasy twelve. Because I think that, for one, it has a, a totally unique combat system. It it's very it's very MMO inspired, but still adds a lot of the tactics and the full party control that you have of previous games. And it just it was blended to make something that was really really exceptional in my opinion. So like that one is still the standout for me. I think it's a pretty solid story. It has exceptional characters, but like the story is just fine um but really it's just the combat puts it like head and shoulders above the others in my opinion i like 15 a lot just for the vibes because all all the other final fantasy games are like oh we got like this huge quest that we got to go on to save the world and 15 has that but it also has fishing yeah it's just like actually you're you're mostly just kind of going on a road trip with the boys (laughs) it's just some guys being dudes (laughs) uh there, I like. Fifteen is so complicated for me, because there are things about it that I think are exceptional, but there's also just like a meandering feeling to it, 
Like I beat it. I beat it within like a week of its release and then didn't touch it again after that. I did none of like the post game content or any of the higher level side content. I didn't go back for any of the DLCs. Like it's just, I enjoyed it. I hit the end of it and I was like, okay, that's fine. I am done with this game. (laughs) It's definitely weak in, in terms of like the ending. Yeah. Well, and especially at launch. Like, a few months after launch, they added some cutscenes that apparently flesh out the ending and specifically flesh out the motivations for certain characters going into the ending. But I never saw any of that because I finished it right away. They'll also have that issue of they canceled the last two or three DLCs. So the story's never going to have, like, its actual intended conclusion. Yeah. So Jackson... Uh, out of all the games you've played in the series, which includes this one, uh, which one's your favorite? Um, I think I'd have to go um, Final Fantasy VII, The First Soldier. Ah, big hit with with all Final Fantasy fans. I definitely know people that have played that game. (laughs) But, yeah. yeah. Final Fantasy VII, First Soldier is really impressive because it manages to completely miss what any demographic wants out of a game. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're like, we gotta get the Fortnite gamers in here. And then they were like, let's make the worst Fortnite adjacent game possible. <laughs> Jackson, you can go now. <laughs> Sorry. But, I mean, obviously, as Final Fantasy VII Remake being the only one I have beat, I'd have to pick that as my favorite. But, I did really like what I played of 15, even though it was only, like, the first, like, four chapters. <laughs> I remember the, uh, the Robin Cup festivals. <laughs> I, I'll never forget the line that Gladiolus says at the end of that. or it, I don't even remember if it's the end of the quest necessarily. <laughs> but he's just like, you know, I was thinking how the best foods are always made with the best and the highest quality ingredients. And you expect him to say something about teamwork or something. You know. It then becomes a, uh, a Papa John's And then John's he's just like, ad. I was wondering, what if we made cup noodles with higher quality ingredients? <laughs> What if we made microwave ramen, but with actual steak in it? Uh, that game was wild. Yeah. It had so much weird cross-promotional stuff and, like, some very specific product placement that I adored. Like, uh, like all of your camping equipment was, like, an actual brand of camping equipment. <laughs> Even though this was in a world where you're, like, fighting, like, you know, giant dragons and, you know, little cactus monsters and, like, all sorts of wild magical stuff in between. I didn't like the product placement in 15. I liked it when it was fake uh, companies, but I I thought it was dumb that, like, there'd be, like, craftsmen cooking equipment or specifically cup noodle. And it's just, like, it's a fantasy world, and there are plenty of fantasy companies in it. Why not just make it fantasy company like oh how much money did cup noodle give them they're just big fans i like whenever there's (laughs) weird product placement like that for instance the monster energy in death stranding yeah i do like the cup noodle i I think it's funny when it gets to this point where it's just like blatant and ridiculous (laughs) i think that the monster energy is funnier because it's a central game mechanic yeah like I mean, obviously, you have to cook fairly regularly in Final Fantasy XV, but, like, you never specifically have to cook cup noodles. 
it's just one option. In Death Stranding, you had to drink Monster Energy. It's a way to survive. And then they removed it. But they left in all the ads for Ride with Norman Reedus. And that's almost as funny. <laughs> because... Like when you're riding the motorcycle in Death Stranding, sometimes Norman Reedus, or his name's Sam in the game, he'll just be like, dang, this is badass. I feel like I'm on ride with Norman Reedus. <laughs> uh. <sighs> anyway, we should probably start talking about Final Fantasy VII at some point. Yeah, no, I, I like where this is going. <laughs> nah, okay. So, for any of you who have, are not familiar, which there are probably not going to be a lot of you, uh, Final Fantasy VII was a 1997 PlayStation One game. Uh, it was it's a JRPG turn-based combat, which is like you call like you call an attack, the enemy does an attack, and you just go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Um, it is a story about a ex-military soldier type named Cloud who joins up with a team of essentially eco-terrorists uh, called Avalanche. That are trying to stop a company called Shinra, which has taken over the flow of magic energy in the world. And they have used it as a power source for the people of the city of Midgar, which is where the game takes place. Uh, in doing so, they are slowly draining the planet and making it completely unlivable. And this group called Avalanche is trying to stop them. Uh, this all gets tied up into Cloud's ambitions and his past with you know, being a soldier working for Shinra, it's definitely not a subtle metaphor <laughs> for uh, global warming and uh, the destruction of the ecosystem that's happening in the real world. Uh, I can't believe you're going to lose us fans talking about Final Fantasy VII. Anyways, Final <laughs> Fantasy VII. That's that's what it is. It's It was such a big game that when it launched on the PlayStation 1, it actually required three discs to be able to play. And it really set a precedent for how big RPGs could be. And it really wasn't for several years after that any game really hit that high. And even then, it was mostly Square Enix making the games that hit that high. So it, was, it set a precedent right away. And it still looked back at, you know, as one of the best of, one of the, best of the genre. So, you know, we knew for sure that a remake was coming or a sequel was coming or something else was coming. Well, it was and revealed then, in like 2015, wasn't it? Yeah, the Square Enix has Square Enix has been subtly suggesting there would be a Final Fantasy 7 remake of some kind since like 2009. And then officially at E3 2015, they specifically said Final Fantasy 7 remake is in the works. They showed like some very vague artwork from what the game was going to be. And it wasn't until 2020 that we finally got Final Fantasy Remake. So would one of y'all like to set up what that is? Final Fantasy VII is exactly what it sounds like. 100% what's on the box. It's a remake of Final Fantasy VII. Don't know why you threw that over to us, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's... There are definitely some similarities between Final Fantasy VII Remake and Final Fantasy VII. Yeah. Joking aside, Final Fantasy VII Remake starts, and it spends a decent amount of the game making you think that it's just a super expanded version of the first, third, 
of the original Final Fantasy VII. But kind of as you play through it, you discover that there are things changing in the world. Characters are seeing visions of the original Final Fantasy VII, or at least events that took place in those games. But then the events that they see come up and they happen, you know, either subtly differently or just in other cases completely <laughs> like 100% a different event happens from my understanding or at least my interpretation of it is just that this isn't actually a remake at all it's like a whole new series that essentially follows the ideas of Final Fantasy 7 a completely new plot <laughs> expanding yeah. around it to put yeah. it simply it's not an actual remake it's more like a re it, it's a new series where the subtitle is re blank yeah i i won't uh explain why yet but i think remake is a double meaning or specifically or was an intentional misnomer almost so before we get too into any of the specifics of final fantasy 7r jackson i want to start with you on this what'd you think of the game like overall well I had played most of it when it launched back in 2020, but then I just like stopped. I don't even know why I stopped playing. I think it's because Ghost of Tsushima came out maybe, um, but I never picked it back up again until very recently. And like, while I did enjoy it when I originally played it, I never like thought too much of it, but this time around, I really enjoyed playing it. Like, I don't know the last time I sunk this much time into a game all at once. It's... It is very fun. It's not... I've I've never really played games similar to it. I guess the closest thing is probably the first Kingdom Hearts game. Um, so it's kind of a new experience for me. And I really enjoyed it. Because it's very different from most other, you know, AAA action-adventure games. Jason, what do you think of it? Um, I mean, I also picked it up in 2020. I think I picked it up not long after launch. And I played the first maybe half of it then and then just put it down and didn't pick it back up until two weeks ago <laughs> i mean i really enjoyed it then and i really enjoy it now i i don't know why i put it down for so long i mean i think it is just like other games come out and longer games kind of get the short end of the straw yeah it is a fairly long game i had 35 hours by the time i beat it and i only did like maybe half the side content i did all the side content so it was a little bit closer to like 50 hours for me. Also, I wasn't very good at it when, at the beginning. So <laughs> It definitely took a big learning curve for me since I have not played anything like it. But I think by the time I beat it, I really had a hang of it. When this game first came out, like I was stoked. Like this was one of my most anticipated games of like going into 2020. And like I went hard on it. Like the like the demo for the game lets you play like the first three chapters before the game even came out and i did that like i played through it multiple times before the actual release and then when it actually released i i went like several days where i was playing the game several hours a day and i beat it in like only four or five days and i went back and did like most of the side content like right away like i loved this game like it was it was fantastic like i was so excited by it had so many cool ideas uh but I didn't pick it back up until a couple weeks ago when we decided we were going to do this episode. And I got to say, it's not as good of a second experience. 
Uh, this is a very, very narrative-heavy game. And once you already know the directions it's going story-wise, it loses a lot of its its draw. Which is not diminishing on the initial playthrough at all. Like, it's, it's a fantastic game, in my opinion. It's just that it's not a super replayable game, which I was a bit disappointed yeah. to find out. Combat is not bad by any means. I definitely enjoy the combat a good bit, but there's a lot of times where the only thing getting me through it was the narrative. A lot of the, the map designs in the game are essentially straight hallways. Yeah. yeah. And there, there are some chapters where you get like a decent-sized area to explore. I think it's like... Chapter 14 in particular lets you explore... Most of uh, the... All three of the major areas that you go to... <laughs> Yeah, th- those parts are those parts are fairly open, um, but for the vast majority of the game, you're you're very much just going to be kind of going where the game tells you to go. Uh, every other door except for the one you need to go through is locked. There's only one actual way to get anywhere. Occasionally, you'll see like side paths, and that's a uh, you know a good way to get extra magic or items, but. There's, there's one story in this game, and there's one path to get to it. <laughs> now, I will say, generally speaking, that story and that path are interesting enough. Like, even if the map doesn't give you a whole lot of options to deviate from the core path, it's still really cool-looking maps, and they're interesting areas to explore. Um, I do just wish that there was more than, like, three chapters in the game that lets you actually go out and you know go where you wanted to go and even then those three chapters still have pretty limited areas where you can go and like actually fight stuff so yeah jordan and i both uh also originally played it on the ps4 and then for this i played it on the ps5 um and it looks really good yeah i know that there there are some issues with the ps4 version uh where like some textures are just way lower resolution than others specifically like i think a lot of the doors <laughs> yeah. it, it'll, it'll look funny like when you get to uh the apartment where cloud stays near the beginning of the game because the door looks just awful yeah and it but never, then everything like, around it is like super high quality yeah there's there are a few spots in the game i was still playing the ps4 version when i went back to it there are certain te- it's there are certain spots where it looks like the texture isn't loading but then it just never loads, and you realize that some textures just look straight up terrible. A lot of those are fixed on PS5. I didn't have that happen much, but the train yard section, for some reason, that happened a lot. <laughs> it- yeah, I guess that's something worth getting into. Is yeah, I mentioned earlier that the game expands a lot on the first chapter of Final Fantasy VII, which Final Fantasy VII itself is only like 50 hours long anyways, 50-60. Yeah. And they made just, you know, the first, like, Six I to said eight third, hours. it's closer to, yeah, like, maybe the first ten hours, if you're playing your first playthrough. Yeah. Uh, and they stretch that out four to five times as long. Yep. And part of that is major expansions on things that already happened in Final Fantasy VII, but a few instances, like the train yard Jackson talked about, and one entire mission that happens between the first two reactors of the game, those are things that didn't happen in the original at all. Like, this, it expands on Cloud's time with Avalanche. It expands upon how broken the world is. It just shows you more of the slums of Midgar. And at first, 
like especially with it trying to really play up uh like biggs and jesse and wedge who are members of avalanche with cloud who didn't matter in the first game i thought with them like trying to play them up and giving all these like soapbox moments people to talk about avalanche's cause at first i was just like okay this is just milking the original for more than it's worth but then as the game went on i was really really impressed with the ways they expanded upon it because it you get to see pretty extensively what life was actually like for these people in the slums of a world that is basically on the brink of destruction and there's actually some really cool ideas with that that being said mechanically there's a lot of stuff that's added that i don't love i think that those characters are at least jesse and wedge are expanded upon in like fairly interesting ways i still don't really have a fit a feel for like who biggs is because he yeah leaves for most of the game <laughs> yeah don't yeah. really know what he's doing <laughs> But, like, Jesse, you, like, go and meet her family, and you find out that she was an, uh, an aspiring actress and, like, lied to her family about being an actress when she joined Avalanche. There's a lot of interesting stuff that kind of builds upon the world, <laughs> makes it more interesting without having to introduce, like, entirely new characters or anything like that. Because that stuff with Jesse, like, that's completely new, isn't it? Yeah, that whole mission of the game is entirely unique to Remake. Like, them having to go break into a base and steal weapons. That didn't happen at all in the original. And that's like that's like four or five hours in Remake. One thing I gotta mention is I do really like the area that you get to explore during that mission. Because it's like a suburb, essentially. Yeah. Uh, on the top side of the plate. Because most of the game... The, the world is split into two layers, essentially. There is... These giant plates that, on top of those plates, is a giant sprawling metropolis where everyone that lives up there is at least moderately wealthy, and they generally work for Shinra. <laughs> and then on the lower level, you have basically the same general-sized area as what's on top, but it's just slum. <laughs> like, there, there are literally, like, landfills right next to where people live. And you don't really get to explore too much of just, like, what the world is like on the top side of the plates other than one or two chapters. That's the only one where you get, like, a decent-sized area that you can explore. I think it, I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, there's not really anything to do there, <laughs> but it's just nice from, like, a world-building perspective to show, yeah. like, how people are living. how Because it's, like, a poorer neighborhood, but it's still on the top side of the plates. So, like... Even though the people that live there are, in comparison to people on other, other parts of the top side of the plate, they're poor. Like, they're still leagues higher, uh, like, their, their lives are leagues higher quality than what's going on below the plates. Yeah. There is a very, very staunch divide between the upper and lower class in the Final Fantasy VII universe. And in also the first... The real in, one. Well, well, yes, <laughs> uh, but in in the first game, it was doing a lot of just telling you the topsiders have it better and Shinra is bad, whereas this game sort of lets you see that and exactly what that looks like, and it gives a lot more nuance to what the lives of the topsiders is like, which is very, very cool. Are, were there any like especially standout chapters or sections of the game or... Just just any section you especially enjoyed. I really like the last few chapters of the game, once you're breaking into the Shinra building. 
I guess it's kind of just like that's where during uh, my playthrough that like a lot of like the combat and stuff really started to finally like connect. And there's just there's a whole lot of weird story stuff going on there that even though I didn't understand most of, I really enjoyed. Yeah, it definitely expands on the story a lot towards the end. Yeah, I feel like and showing you differences between the original game and this one. Yeah. I also I really liked the part with um Wall Market. I don't really know how to describe it. It was uh interesting. <laughs> That's a really cool area in general because it much like what we were talking about with the the mission where you go to the top plate, that shows that that shows how drastically different the world can be just on like different sides of one city because the slums you know being these poor and defenseless little neighborhoods almost are going to adapt in different ways and wall market sort of became like the hub for all of the oddities of the slums but in a very interesting way. Like, I think it had some of the visually coolest stuff that happened in the game was in the Wall Market area. It also had the, the dancing minigame, which is the yeah. best part of the game. <laughs> yeah. So I, I want to talk about that a little bit, too, because that is a... It's an important scene for reasons that didn't necessarily click with me right away. Because in the original, in the original game, there is a point where to save one of his companions... Uh, Cloud dresses up as a woman and competes in like a beauty pageant thing to meet this like really sleazy crime boss and it was very much treated as like an offhand joke it's like haha we made this tough guy dress up like a woman haha isn't that funny and my first thought was well the remake's just gonna cut that all together but it actually did something much smarter with it so Cloud definitely still has this like this like macho vibe to him like that's not me i'm not about to wear a dress but then it has you actually play out this like rhythm based mini game with him like you know wearing this dress and uh a wig and all this stuff and like i don't, he, I don't think he's wearing the dress yet during the mini game. but like it it expands on this whole idea like it really shows the details of what cloud infiltrating this place looks like and it does it in a way that actually like kind of gives some like respect and admiration to like drag is and why people enjoy that and it's i don't know it was just a really interesting way to do it like it did it in a way that was actually like fairly respectful and showed cloud kind of like get it for a while (laughs) like it was just it was really interesting because I thought going into it, like, there is no way they keep that scene in. They're absolutely going to cut that in lieu of anything else. But I'm really glad they didn't. Also, the dance minigame was fun. No matter what <laughs> yeah. Jackson says. I thought it was yeah. fun. There was just a few moments where you could not see the uh, the prompt very well. You had to feel the music. Yeah. <laughs> feel it. I, I Speaking of the dance minigame, I do like how they did throw in a bunch of random minigames like that throughout the entire game. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's a there's a pull up one you have to do. I can't remember the some darts. of the earlier ones, but the darts was fun. Yeah, I remember the darts. Yeah. That was fun. There's uh, there's one for like filling up the steam pressure 
in something in the sewer section. <laughs> it has a lot of really smart ways to sort of break the monotony yeah. of just walking down hallways. <laughs> and you guys, you guys haven't played it yet, but there's also like the DLC adds a whole board game that you get to play, where it uses like the models from the original Final Fantasy VII. I don't really know how to explain it. It's kind of similar to like a MOBA, but you're just setting the enemies down like a strategy game, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. But once you've set them down, like you have no control over them. And you're just trying to destroy your opponent's towers. And it's it's very fun. It's actually fairly challenging. Yeah, I'm, I'm planning on jumping into the DLC pretty soon. Um, I didn't play it at, at release for some reason. I think it released like at the same time as another game I was excited for. And I just never got back around to it. Also, I I did play a ton of 7R when it first came out, so I was probably still a little bit burnt out. But, you know, even though I haven't loved this replay of, of 7R, I, I definitely intend to play the the DLC very soon, especially with Crisis Core coming out later this year and then the sequel to 7R coming next year. Yeah, it's definitely interesting for me because, like, I've played Final Fantasy... Or, sorry, I've played Kingdom Hearts, and Yuffie is in that. But I've never actually played enough of Final Fantasy VII to meet Yuffie. So it's kind of like an introduction to the character after Kingdom Hearts just kind of assumed I already knew her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now, Jackson already sort of alluded to some similarities to Kingdom Hearts. Let's dig into the combat system of this game. Because it is very much its own thing. I'm not even really sure how to describe it now that I think about it. (laughs) It's... I would describe it half hack and slash, half ability team command. It has turn-based elements Ideas. in it. Yeah. Yeah. It it's not it's not entirely dissimilar to what Final Fantasy thirteen did. It's sure. much better than what Final Fantasy thirteen <laughs> did, in my opinion. But Yeah. There's much less automation. Like in this game, you, you, you still, still control, control the characters character. in real time. And you still, like, press square to attack. Like, you know, very normal combat, like, very real-time action combat type stuff. But the entire time you're playing, there are these little bars filling up next to each of your characters. And when one of them fills up, you can stop time, pull up, or slow time a lot. Uh, Pull up a menu, and you can use that little bar to give some kind of command or cast a spell or use an item like you it plays like a real-time fighter but you can stop time to tell your teammates what to do and it definitely adds a lot of depth to the combat yeah yeah because just playing especially playing as cloud and barrett like a lot of the time it is just kind of tapping or holding square a whole bunch and (laughs) hoping something good happens but you know your abilities are really powerful because there are a few exceptions, but generally every enemy has some kind of element or type of attack that they're weak to. And if you use that, you'll build up their stagger gauge. And once you've staggered them, you deal a lot of bonus damage. By default, it's like 160%. But certain abilities will increase that percentage further, and you can get to the point where you're doing like 400% damage to an enemy with every yeah. attack. There's just... it's It's really cool because... It's already like pretty fast-paced, high-intensity combat to begin with, but then when you throw in character swapping and giving commands, and even like some of the later, like some of the 
you know, more specific stuff like summons and uh, ability weaknesses and all that stuff. It has a really, really good flow of being a good action game and still having good strategy mechanics layered in on top. And a lot of games don't necessarily stick the landing on those types of relationships in combat systems. I also really like that each character plays like very differently from each yeah, other. Yeah, for sure. Because each character has like their own special heavy attack. You have Barrett and Aerith. And they are significantly less fun to play as they're, because they're ranged characters. It's not even just that. It's the fact that they are very much support characters. They turn the they turn the guy with a machine gun arm into a support character. <laughs> and it's not to say that they are bad additions just because they're not fun to play as. They still add a lot of very, very cool things to the game. Yeah, yeah. They are just not as interesting as Cloud and Tifa that get right up in people's faces and deal the damage. But all this to say that... There are a lot of different ways you can play this game. You can prioritize different abilities and spells and stats for different characters. And unlike a lot of, uh, you know, not a lot of, but like some other Final Fantasy games, there aren't really class restrictions. Like anyone can learn any spell. There are certainly people that have stats that make them more, you know, more of a natural fit to casting spells versus attacks. But like generally speaking, you can do what you want to do with these characters Yeah, in a, in a way that's pretty cool. Did either of you guys play the classic mode difficulty options? No. no. I I think I tried it out bef- like during the demo phase before the game actually came out, but I decided to go with the regular mode for the entire game. Yeah, it was I never even bothered touching the classic mode. Um for those that don't know, the classic mode, uh you do not like control your character. They're doing all their standard attacks themselves. Uh, that way, you can focus on just doing abilities and items and spells. That sounds not fun. Yeah, I there's, there's a reason I never played it. I feel like that's a, a a pretty you know thorough discussion about what Final Fantasy VII R is and and how we felt about it. So let's kind of close out with what we hope to see in the sequel, which we now know is going to be the second of three games. And it's officially going to be called Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, which is interesting. <laughs> Jackson, what are some things that you're expecting or wanting for the sequel? Um, things I'm really wanting for the sequel, uh, for the most part, just more of Final Fantasy VII Remake. I, I really enjoy a lot of the game. The one part of the game that I really do not jo- enjoy are the very open sections. Because while the environments and maps do look very cool, and while some of the side quests are really fun and interesting, a lot of those side quests are just nothing. (laughs) Like, very, very boring and just tedious. And even for the open sections of the game, it's a lot of still just running through tight corridors. And I'm hoping that in Rebirth, it's a lot more open with either less side quests that are uh, less fetch questy stuff. Yeah, less fetch quests and more like actually doing stuff. But other than that, yeah. I don't think there's really anything else I'm hoping to see. Yeah, I think I would prefer to see a more open world and more side quests just in general. I like the side quests, especially the ones in um, in Sector Six with the the Angel of the Slums. I thought those ones were all pretty good. And, like, finding the the Dawn's um, 
stashes. I liked it until that part. That's the part where I stopped enjoying it because it just goes back to my problem with the open world just being too closed. Like, it's not fun to run around through that area. It's fun the first time when you get to see the you know cool environments for the first time, but after that, it just feels so tedious. I mean, I do need to point out the reason you feel that way is because you didn't get the fast travel side quest. Yeah. Which I guess, I, I guess if that quest was just given to you without you having to go talk to the person, that would be one major improvement. But it does really seem like you didn't like Chapter 14 because you didn't get the side quest to get fast travel until after you'd done everything else. And I did like it. I thought it was the best chapter in the game. I had this problem with uh, all the chapters that were like that. Because there were, there were two others like that. I don't remember which ones, but they were more early on. The one in Wall Market was alright, because Wall Market is a lot less closed off. And is just, you know, an extremely cool environment. I thought Wall Market was the most confusing area. I liked like it. the three. I, I think I liked it because it felt like it was supposed to be confusing. Like a, you know, giant city, like the underbelly. But Chapter 14 feels like it's supposed to be more open and then it's not. Which part of that does include the Wall Market section. You just, you don't spend a whole lot of time there. You do for one side quest where you have to go looking around for music, but that's really it. I think that the main things that I want to see are, like, like Jason was saying, definitely like bigger open areas would be great. One thing I'm a bit nervous about is what the game is going to look like if they fold in more playable characters. Yeah, I really would like to see more playable characters. I want not only... For there to be the more more characters, of course, and I'm I'm sure but, that we're going to get at least the full roster of seven. But I want more characters at a time, right? And more ways to control them, yeah. like being able to pick specifically what targets they prioritize, and maybe even like something like Final Fantasy XII's Gambit system, where you could actually tell them, like, you know, if you're in this situation, go ahead and use this ability, even without me controlling it, like. If there were just more ways that you could fi- like focus on the parts of combat you want to do, but still have the option for all that like full control if you want it. So like yeah. I think at a, as a whole the combat system's excellent, but I think that it could use just that like ten percent more control, and I think it would be phenomenal. But I would love to see the gambit system from twelve and like more games. Yeah, I, I, I thought think it was it's... really cool. I think it's one of the smartest ideas I've seen in for combat in a video game, period. Because it... You can't control com- your party members individually in that game, right? Like, they just do their own thing. But with the gambit right. system, you can tell you can them get- what to do, essentially. Yeah. You just have to plan it out. Right. You could have, like, 15 different commands you give them, which is basically, like... If X, then Y. And you could go as specific as attack the enemy that, that my you know, primary characters attacking, and then if anyone drops below 50% health, cast Cure, and then if there's if there, if everyone's above 50% health and there's an enemy that rolls in that's weak to fire, cast Fire, and, like, you can give just incredibly specific priorities for characters, and it gives you... It gives you complete control of the situation without making you go in and press every single button for every single spell. Yeah. This game has, you know, it has similar stuff, but the problem is if you want to use it, you have to give up uh, a materia slot for it. Right. 
because there's the there's the auto cure materia that'll just yeah. make it to where the the character will cast cure if anybody gets to low health and it's, yeah it's like that's really nice but you first off you don't get to decide what is low health so if you're in an area where enemies are doing a lot of damage then sometimes it won't matter <laughs> it's one of those things where i'm not sure like i am not smart enough to figure out how that stuff would work into final mm-hmm. fantasy 7 remakes combat but i think it could definitely be done in a way that's very very cool i would really like like just more playable characters at a time because by the end of final fantasy 7 you have a you have a party of seven or five people sorry the end of final fantasy 7 remake right you have a party of five people the four main characters cloud tifa Aerith, and barrett as well as red 13 who you can't play as red 13 at all but Also, you can only have three of the human characters in your party at a time. It's like, there's only four characters in this game, and you don't get all four of them at any point until very close to the end. It just kind of sucks that you can't use all four. (laughs) I I can only imagine, because this was actually one one of my only complaints about the original Final Fantasy VII, was that... You only have three characters in combat at a time, but you have nine party members. And I don't like that in RPGs most of the time. I want to be able to have bare minimum half of my characters on the battlefield at a time. Like Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest 12 or 11 is one of my favorite RPGs of all time, and it's still it still gets on my nerves because you have four party members not in combat at any given time. And that just feels like too much. Um, yeah. Also, the game, you spend a lot of time with Cloud, Tifa, and Barrett. And when you get Aerith back, like, you're kind of already used to playing as the other three. Yeah. So, like, I didn't want to play as her as much anymore. Because yeah. I would either be giving up Tifa, who's, you know, up there with Cloud doing a lot of damage, or I'd be giving up barrett who's my tank and it's like either way it just well, she didn't really seem to fit in after yeah. playing with the other three that long really with with you know all the things we've talked about those are things that i think are going to sort of naturally fix themselves by virtue of the part of final fantasy 7 we are now at because yeah. final fantasy 7 the original was was split pretty distinctly into three acts there was everything in midgar there was everything in the open world around midgar and then you were back to midgar And that middle chunk, the second act, is way, way more open and way longer than the other two acts. And you have all of your party members with you all the time. They're not randomly leaving for a chapter here and there like they do in the first chunk of the game. You know, you have a lot more options because they're always there. I'm just thinking in general that that probably won't be an issue with the next game, just narratively. Because they're going to be together more, but who knows? I would be disappointed if they keep the three playable characters in a companion type thing, but I wouldn't be shocked by it, and you're just stuck having to constantly bench multiple characters. You know, we've mentioned it a little bit, but there is the Crisis Core remake, which is a prequel to uh, 7, and there's also the new sequel, Rebirth, coming out soon. I'm I'm pretty excited for both of those, but I, it'll be interesting to see what changes in Crisis Core to account for all the changes in Seven Remake. Like, is it still just going to be a straight remake of Crisis Core? 
Yeah. Or is it going to take place in this alternate universe that remake has kind of set up? It'd be really interesting to see. Crisis Core was one of my favorite games on the PSP. I'd say the only one that beats it would be Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep. And even that's close, which is mm-hmm. also ironic because Zach was also in that game. <laughs> From everything I have seen, it looks like it is a shot-for-shot remake. But I'm still expecting there to be something new at the end of the game or you know intermittent chapters thrown in the middle i i think that there is going to be something that ties it back to 7r in some capacity but i do think that the vast vast majority of it will be exactly like the original which i'm all for because the original is excellent i do hear what you're saying but uh, i need to remind you that we didn't know that final fantasy 7 remake was going to be so drastically different until very close to its release that's fair that's fair and I think that they could have just been very, very particular about what they showed of the Crisis Core remaster so far. And it actually is a lot different. It's just they focus on the stuff that's not, much like they did with Final Fantasy VII-R. Yeah, I mean, like, VII-R hits on all of the, the same high points that the original did. But it has a lot between those high points. For sure, for sure. And a completely uh, yeah. different ending that's not even remotely the same as how uh, Act 1 ended. I'm I'm very excited about Crisis Core though. I I really really love that game and I'm really interested to see how it, you know, fits into action RPGs of today. So, you know, if we're getting a Crisis Core remake, you think we're going to get a Dirge of Cerberus remake or a uh, Advent Children recut? <laughs> That'd just be wild. Advent yeah. Children. That'd be wild if they redo the movies to fit with they just change like four scenes of the movie and then re-release it. They're like, actually, the scene where Cloud is sick doesn't really make sense because he's immune to disease in a remake or something weird. <laughs> Gotta change the whole plot, sorry. <laughs> That's already a lot of Final Fantasy VII remake talk. So I think that that means it's time to pull the plug. Flush, 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 flush. Jackson, what else have you been into? Uh... It's been a minute, so you have a lot of time to dig back into. Oof. Well, remember how we played uh, Horizon... I mean, reviewed Horizon Forbidden West, and I only played, like, 10 hours of it? Well, I finally beat it, like, four months later or something. Um, It's very good. I, I wish Jordan would beat it so I can talk about how insane the ending of this game is. Uh, but no. I still haven't gotten there. Yeah. A lot of things that I heard about this game when it came out was that it gets 10 times more sci-fi than zero dawn was they were wrong gets 15 times more sci-fi this game already starts to get insane like just a few hours in but once you hit the end of the game some crazy stuff happening like reminds me of some mass effect stuff honestly i i do think overall horizon zero dawn has a better story and i think better characters but Forbidden West is still very interesting. Characters are all very interesting. I do think combat is better in Forbidden West, though. Because in uh, Zero Dawn, like, you could get by with just using your bow and, like, your rope caster for most of the game. But, like, you really have to think about what weapons you're going to use on what enemies in Forbidden West. Like, it feels like every weapon has a purpose. I think I think I used 
all weapons, but maybe the shredder gauntlets, which honestly could not tell you what those do. They probably shred things. Yeah, I'm assuming something like that. That's really all I have to talk about right now, because some of the other things I'm saving for later dates, or we're maybe going to review them. So don't want to talk about those yet. Uh, so Jason, what have you been into? Well, the other day, Jordan and I went to see Lightyear. Uh, in case anybody's wondering, in 1995, Andy received a toy <laughs> from his favorite movie. And this is that movie. <laughs> and... It definitely reminded me of a movie that would have come out in 1995. It, it was fun. I mean, it was a Disney Pixar movie. I liked it. I, I don't think that Disney Pixar's really made too many movies that I would consider outright bad. And this one, this one fits snugly into the middle, I guess. <laughs> it's a fun movie, kind of giving more backstory for Buzz Lightyear. I thought that all the performances were really good. I, I honestly liked all the characters in it. At the end of the day, it's still a Buzz Lightyear movie. <laughs> it was kind of weird. I think there was a lot to like in it. There yeah, was... There, was, there was a lot to like, but it is kind of weird the whole movie kind of revolved around time travel. <laughs> yeah, it was... There was like a weird emphasis on time as a concept that didn't really fit the otherwise lighthearted vibe of the movie. <laughs> it was fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was fine. It was pretty good. I enjoyed it. I would, I would watch it again. It, you know, if it came up. That works, because I want to go see it. Um, so I would recommend the movie to anybody that really likes Buzz Lightyear of Star Command, the TV series. Uh, and if you really like Toy Story, then I, I don't know. It, it did feel like a lot of the references to Toy Story were very forced. Yeah. Like, they were just like, alright, in Toy Story... This line got a lot of laughs. Remember when he said there's freaking no sign of intelligent life anywhere? We gotta do that one again. And I gotta say, you talked about the performances. Tim Allen knocked it out of the park as a younger Buzz. He barely even sounded like himself. <laughs> yeah, I felt like they took a lot of influence from Captain America with the direction that Tim Allen took. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, pretty standard story about a guy learning to... Trust other people. <laughs> also, there are cool spaceships, so that's that's something. Yeah, and Zerg is in the movie, so 10 out of 10. Best movie of the year. I bet it's the only movie that's going to come out this year. Maybe even in this half of the decade that's going to have Zerg in it. So, Zerg fans, get out to the theaters immediately. You know, one more thing that we should talk about. Last week for the stream, we all played Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Shredder's Revenge. It's true. I feel like it was a pretty good time. That was yeah. a lot more fun yeah. than I was expecting it to be. Jackson, have you really played like any uh, like side scroller beat em ups? Yeah, I never played the Ninja Turtles one, but I've played a few of those type of games. Not many. I've played like the like the Marvel ones that Arcade would have, and a few other ones like that. What did you think? I I really liked it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, I have been considering going back and playing through it again, uh, solo. Yeah, there is, like, an achievement. I, th I think every character has a different ending, but it is just a one-frame Yeah, it's ending, a one-frame so. ending that means, like, nothing. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm definitely considering playing through it again as, uh, Casey Jones, since we unlocked him. Yeah. I wanna, I wanna get all the upgrades. What do you think, Jordan? It was interesting. Like, I really, really enjoyed it. 
But I kind of like the fact that it was a one-and-done type of game. Like, we knocked it out in, you know, one stream, which was, like, less than three hours. And, like, it was really good, and it felt like that was enough. Like, not say I won't ever play it again, but, like, it was just really cool to be able to get, like, a really cool, like, thorough experience out of just, like, one sitting with a game. And there are not a lot of games that manage that. I want to play it again, but I want to skip all of the flying or vehicle levels. Those were annoying. Um, there were some. There were definitely some quirks with the game that I didn't love, specifically those types of levels and how reliant you had to be on like aerial attacks and stuff. But generally speaking, I think it was a really, really good time, especially you know for it to be like a free game that or not free, but like we got it on Game Pass and could play it together online and stuff, which was which was cool. We'll have to. We can look and play something similar next time one comes out. <laughs> yeah, might be a good one to do for any stream. I'm definitely on the lookout for more games like it, where you know we can easily like play it together and you know make really good progress over the course of just a couple of streams and you know that kind of stuff is pretty cool. So yeah, so check it out though. Well, I think that just about does it for another episode of the Totally Biased Media Podcast. If you want to reach out to us, there are several ways you can do it. On Twitter at TBMcast, on Instagram at Totally Biased Media. We stream on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Totally Biased Media. You can send an email with your own reviews for new release video games or suggestions for the show or anything you want to tell us. You can send it to totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. We are happy to engage with you however we reasonably can. Um, if you have suggestions for certain games you want to see us talk about or even certain studios or genres or developers, like whatever, like we, we want recommendations because we still have a little ways before the influx of new games comes at the end of the year. So, you know, definitely let us know what you want to hear. And also, you know, we saw, we saw an email from the bus where he requested that we review Final Fantasy VII. And here we are. We did it. Just for you. Only one month late. Yeah. Which, but hey, this we... is technically the most recent episode. Yeah. The only episode since you emailed, so. <laughs> yeah, but but we, we sincerely appreciate it. Um, so that just shows we do take it seriously when people reach out with suggestions for the show. And we will do the same for your recommendations. Unless your recommendations suck. We won't review Battletoads. <laughs> Our recommendations for the show suck, so it's fine if yours do too. We still want to hear them. <laughs> but for the Totally Biased Media Podcast, I'm Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons. I'm Jackson Walkup. You just felt the bias. Ka-chow. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye. You say ka-chow? No.